Welcome back to the show. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the Luck on Sunday studio for the first time the self-styled trainer with a difference, a man who forged, no pun intended, a hugely successful career as a farrier before going on to hit the headlines uh, in even more emphatic fashion with success under both codes with a training license. He is, of course, Gavin Cromwell en route to Lingfield with Darvastar, the former champion hurdle third and a very exciting novice hurdler. So thanks for stopping by, Gavin. Good morning, Nick. And is it a first visit to Lingfield for you this afternoon? It is, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. And, I mean, when did you sort of think, hmm, that could be quite an interesting departure? Because we saw a few Irish horses enter, but, but not that many. Yeah, um, look, with, with Darver Star, he's probably a little bit hard to place. Um, I was looking for conditions, races, and uh, stumbled across that race. And so here you are, just, are, just three of them, and it looks a lovely opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I suppose from the sponsors and the track, um, it's probably a little bit disappointing for them that there's only three runners, but I think it'll be a, it will be a good race all the same. I mean, you are firmly established now as one of the most respected trainers in Ireland, as I say, under, under both codes. You've had Royal Ascot winners, you've had Breeders' Cup runners, you've had a whole slew of Cheltenham Festival winners, a champion hurdle winner, a stayers hurdle winner. If I told you 15, 20 years ago that you'd be in this position now, what would you have said? If you told me that five or six years ago, I'd have told you you were mad. Um, yeah, look, going back a few years and not very long ago, I didn't actually, I would have never contemplated that I would be a full-time trainer. Um, it just evolved and um, thankfully so. Um, I now uh, work as, at my hobby and uh, enjoy it. So you're, you're working at what used to be your, your hobby when you were a full-time, full-time farrier. So were you marrying the two for, for a little while? Absolutely. Um, I used to ride out a few in the morning um, before I would go shoeing. And I suppose I was lucky enough from a small trainer point of view that I had the farrier job to um, basically fund the training and fund the the, the building of the of the yard and and the gallops, um, you know, I wasn't reliant uh, reliant on the actual training to do that. So, um, you know, I got to improve the yard as I was from funding from the shoe, the shoeing. And so, when you you trained as a farrier, did you train as a farrier right from the outset, right from right from leaving school? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Somebody telling sorry. you to do decorations. <laughs> That's exactly what or, it is. Always, always <laughs> yeah. is every week. Um, yeah, um, well, look at I went. I I worked for summer holidays. I went to Desi Hughes and I went on to Newmarket. Um, had a, notions of being a jockey. Uh, simply wasn't good enough. Um, and I thought a farrier would be. I could make a living at that and and still be in the industry. And um, yeah, that's I rode in a few pointy points um, as just for fun. And uh, yeah, it evolved from there. How was uh, how was Desi Hughes to, to ride out for? Is that, so what were you did, really young sort of teenager? Yeah, absolutely. Teenagers? I went there when I was fourteen for my summer holidays, and and, and again back the, f- the following year. And I was I was going to leave school, and Desi, being the gent that he is, he told my dad uh, send him back to school. It wasn't good enough to be a, to be a jockey. So, <laughs> you know, I think uh, a lot of trainers would have just, um, you know, it was another employee and 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 let them leave school. But that was the gent that Desi was. Um, so that's where that's what what got me started. And when I finished school, I went to went to Newmarket and worked there for a while. And went on to Australia and worked there, and and uh, came back to start my apprenticeship as a farrier. So you you must have sort of been acquiring little bits and pieces from all these places. I mean, you can't start anywhere better than than Desi Hughes. W- where did you work in Newmarket? 
Um, ben Hambry, the first year I went, and um, Paul T Paul Callaway then, um, and then I went on to Australia and I worked for I worked at Flemington Racetrack um, for a fellow called Johnny Marr, who's since retired, um, and then I came back to start my apprenticeship. There aren't many people who who now come on the show who've who've worked under Paul Kellaway, who had a, a pretty formidable and fearsome reputation. Was he as hard a taskmaster as his reputation suggests? Um, yeah, um, at the time, <laughs> at the time um, in Newmarket, there, there, there actually wasn't very many jobs going in Newmarket. It, would, um, there, it was in a bit of a lull, and um, it was the only place I could get a job. And I think that was because he was so tough. But <laughs> no, nobody I, else wanted to work there. Nobody else wanted to work there. But uh, look at it, it was fine. <laughs> How long did you last? I was there for about um, nine months, I think. That's, and then I that's, went to not, that's not bad going. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know I got on fine with him. Uh, did you? I mean, did you feel in all this time that that you were actually learning? Um, well, it, like it, I never really had it in my head that I was going to go training anyway. But mm. um, look, every day is a school day, isn't it? Um, so I think I learned more when I was a farrier than I did while I worked in racing. Interesting. Um, you know, going around different yards. Um, you know, I, I shot for Pat Martin was the first trainer I shot for. Um, I shot for him for 20-odd years, and um, he's a small trainer, but a very clever man, and, and uh, always picked up, or picked up plenty. Um, and then, of course, Gordon Elliott has shot for Gordon up until a couple of years ago. Um, and sure, I don't need to tell you the story there. Um, so you definitely learn a lot going into different places and picking up what you want to, you know. I mean, not everybody, they don't, not, they don't do everything right, but yeah. if you can pick up a little bit everywhere. And you have that such close physical working relationship with the horse as well. You, does that help you understand them a little better? Yeah, definitely. Um, you, while you're shoeing, um, you do learn an awful lot about the, the mentality of horses, apart from the physical, the soundness mm -hmm. part of it. Um, you know, you really do, you're, you're with them constantly and... and you do get to appreciate that they're a herd animal and um, you get in their mind a little bit. And, and presumably, technically, it's quite, it's quite a challenging job, quite a demanding job. I know physically it's a, it's a demanding job, but there is no margin for error, is there? Especially when you are shooing a, you know, an, either an Olympic eventer or a, a horse that's about to run in a, in a derby. It's, a, it's a quite high pressure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I've, I was, you know, I, I've shot a... Uh, a couple of Grand National winners and Gold Cup winner and uh, um, Chad Keane O'Connor's horse that won the gold medal at the Olympics and subsequently lost it again. Um, yeah, but I suppose when you're, you get used to doing all of that, it's 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 fine. Um, I enjoyed it all the time I was doing it, um, but it was very hard work and um, I'm not sorry to be, to be finished <laughs> it, um, but it was very good to me. Um, you talk about your relationship with with Gordon Elliott and working working for him. He only started with a license, what two thousand four, five, something like that, as a very as a very young guy. Was it obvious to you fairly early on that that he was just a little out of the ordinary? Absolutely, yeah. He started training point to pointers first, and uh, you know he hit the ground running straight away. Um, he was a very good amateur rider himself, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, he was a worker and. Uh, um, I, look, I don't think anybody would have foreseen that that he he went as far as he did as quick as he did. But um, look, he's he's done a fantastic job.
So what do you think characterises him? What has made him as successful as he has become from pretty um, much nothing? Very good horseman, very good, um, obviously very clever and a very good delegator. Um, always seems to have everybody um, in the right places and doing the right things. That's interesting. So able, confident enough in his team to devolve a certain amount of responsibility. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, it's easier said than done. And is that what you've found since you've, you've taken out a licence? You, you're wanting to give responsibility, but you're sometimes you're, you're, your mind doesn't let you. Um, yeah, possibly. I uh, yeah, tr always try and, trying to do everything myself, um, which you can't do. And um, yeah, it definitely you need to pass on the respo responsibility. And I guess that came from being a multitasker in the first place, didn't it? Yeah, I've got, I can do this, I can do a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and I can take it all on myself. Yeah, possibly so, yeah. So where's the tipping point then, uh, Gavin? When, when you started training the odd horse, when did you start thinking, well, hang on a minute, this is becoming a bit more than a, than a hobby. This is starting to take over a bit. Um, there wasn't really a point as such. I just kept, I, I kept um, taking horses in and um, just got busier and busier and I just got to a stage where I didn't have time to shoe anymore. I had a few lads working for me, so I was able to juggle things around a bit. Um, but then, you know, it got to a stage where I just really wasn't able to go myself. And there's certain jobs that I needed to be there myself. Mm -hmm. And um, I just kind of, yeah, I just had to, had to stop. And so the, the facility got, got larger. People wanted to keep sending you horses. And were you coping quite well with the, with the expansion? Were you kind of coping with that okay mentally? Yeah, yeah. I, like, I... Um, if you're not growing, you're dying, and, and I, 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 I love growing. I love um, mm -hmm. trying to improve, and, and we're constantly trying to improve stuff at home, and, and uh, I think I'll always continue to, to do that. Um, I'm not necessarily get bigger, but improve. Um, I do enjoy that. And uh, you, you describe yourself as a, as a trainer with a difference, and it's not just because you were a farrier-turned-trainer. You obviously feel that there's something you can bring to, to training racehorses that perhaps you haven't seen elsewhere. What do you think that is? Um, I couldn't just tell you that to be honest. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know what what I do different or what we. Do. I don't know if we do anything different. But um, I suppose it's working anyway. Mm -hmm. It is. It's certainly working. Um, can you identify a point where you felt you belonged in a in a big league of trainers? Um, I'm not sure that I even, I, I still do, but. Uh, um, as I said, like we've kind of evolved into this, and, and all of a sudden we're just we're here. Mm. Yeah. And you will you will forever be be remembered for for the sadly ill-fated Espoir Dallin winning the winning the champion hurdle, and he didn't just win it; he he won it by an awful long way. How important a day for you was that? It was it was surreal, really, to be honest. Um, you know, he was a five-year-old going there, very much under the radar. Um, and look, at I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he, if he was placed or, or maybe won, but in the manner that he won was, um, was unbelievable, really. I mean, he um, barely came off the bridle, and because we sadly didn't get to see him again, really, I, I wonder whether the, sort of, the performance is, is slightly lost in history, but it, but it oughtn't to be. Uh, 
just just tell me a little bit about that year and the, the sort of high and then the and then the low. Um, I suppose the the, the build-up to the, to the champion hurdle, like he was he was never a definite runner in it, um, you know, really until a couple of weeks beforehand. Um, you know, he'd, he'd done very little wrong all the way, but you know, being just a five-year-old, um, you know, and I've spoken to JP and Frank and, and all that team, and we thought um, we he would he would run. Um, with the view that if he ran well, maybe he could go back next year. Um, uh, yeah, he was fantastic on the day, and uh, it was such a, a sad end to the whole thing, really. You know, um, and, and he was he was uh, he was a wonderful horse, a very special horse, and uh, a very important moment for you. And at, at that point, did did horses just start flooding into the yard? Um, no, not not. Not necessarily, um, no, but, but the one thing that did come out of that was um, I think we all gained confidence mm -hmm. um, that we could handle a good horse. And, um, you know, not just me, but all the staff in the yard. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's um, like, they're so important. I mean, I, I can't do my job without them, and uh, they're very good. And there was a 50% increase in in winners the, the next season and a, I think about the same increase in prize money as well so so things it obviously gave it it obviously gave the yard significant momentum yeah um, I think it, it probably um, reads a little bit wrong in the fact that we had quite a lot of, of winners that's that summer mm. after Esper Allen and those horses were probably already there yeah um, and it I suppose it makes the it makes the, the stats look a little bit different but um, it certainly helped. Um, as I said, it helped in confidence as well. Um, you, you mentioned your staff, and you know, in common with so many other people who I, I've interviewed, they say they're nothing without the, the team of people. But getting the team of people around you is, uh, is, is a challenge. Um, how have you found that over the years? It's very difficult. Um, it, it, um, you know, and it's ongoing. It, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's never ending. I, mean, um, I think every day, I'm mentally I'm, I'm trying to recruit um, mm -hmm. every person that I meet and interviewing them in my own head, um, trying to recruit. But I think that's you know that that's across the board. I mean I, I'm sure other trainers are, are the same. So even when you're when you're at the races, just whoever you're chatting to, there's always a possibility. There's always a you know business to be done if you like. That's it. That's it. Um, and I suppose that's it's probably not just racing, but uh, you know that's business. Um, and if you want to be the best or be good at your game, that's that's what you need to do. You're not a showman, that's obvious. But are you a good salesman? Probably not as good as I I should be. Um, like I'd, I would love to to get like all owners are, are are good, but you would love to get some more of the, mm -hmm. the the owners that will spend the big the big budget and and to buy the the bigger horse. Um, Maybe just don't sell myself well enough to get them yet, but we'll we'll keep working on it. 
But what would you say are the the most crucial aspects of retaining the owners that you that you do have? Uh, you know, what, what makes a good trainer as far as as far as relationships with owners are concerned? Because you've, you've got a lot of them. You're a lot of syndicates as yeah, well. Yeah, look, it, it's not simple, but um, try and build up a relationship as best you can, and and, and um, be straight and honest, and and try and get results. Mm-hmm. So it's a question of it's a question of trust and. And, and, and integrity, and what about what about what about communication? How do you how do you find that in terms of um, you know, you've got as I say a lot of owners, a lot of syndicate owners as well. Do you feel it's necessary that you're into them all the time? That you're you're ringing them, you're calling them, you're you're sort of available point of contact? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you, you probably can't do enough of it, but you can't do everything either. So. Uh, we do try and, and um, send videos and updates as best we can and try and phone the owners as best I can. And, um, you know, it's not simple because we do have a lot of, a lot of owners, yeah. but um, you just have to work hard at it. Yeah, and you, in the entertainment industry, after all, um, you are here off the back of what's been an amazing year in a sense, having a, a Royal Ascot winner with Quick Susie in the, in the Queen Mary and the, and the two winners at Cheltenham. I get the feeling when I talk to you that that Royal Ascot winner almost gave you more of a kick than the Cheltenham winners. Well, I won't say more, but, uh, but probably equal. To, um, it was fantastic. I, I, I'd never been to Royal Ascot and I'd been threatening to go for years and I was too busy and, and just didn't get around to it. And I said two years ago, I said, I'm not going to go now to have a runner. And to go, um, I've just so excited to actually have a runner and that I thought had a live chance. Um, and then to go and win, it, it was it was fantastic, and it was the f- it was the first day that there was, albeit limited crowds back, um, where I had experienced crowds yeah. back at, at racing, um, I think it was twelve thousand or something like that. But it it, uh, it was you know it just was a real good atmosphere. So a special day. It was it was. And I guess d- did you feel, do you feel less pressure, taking a, a five furlong two year old to a flat race at Royal Ascot than you do turning up to to Cheltenham with. Loring Porter and Co. Um, I was quite nervous with the the preliminaries. Um, you know, she was as as you would expect with a sprinter. You know, she was a she was a ball of nerves and and um, it got a little bit upset in the stalls as well. Just so nervous and uh, hoping that everything would just go right. Um, if she was beaten and beaten fair and square, no problem with that. Mm-hmm. But you just hate for any little thing to go wrong and, and to have an excuse. You don't want any excuses. And, and that's across the, across the board with, with all the runners, really. You know, you just want to do your job as best you can. Um, and I hate to walk away and say, I could have done something different. I could have done it better. I could have, you know, you don't want excuses. If they're not good enough, they're not good enough. Um, but you like to give them every chance. And it all worked out absolutely perfectly. Absolutely. Um, and look, we were so lucky. We got the draw. Um, and the favour drawn beside us, and and you know it just couldn't have, you couldn't write the script really. And she's now continuing her career in in America. Yeah, she hasn't run yet. Um, she went on a break when when she got there. Um, obviously, she missed the the run in the in the Breeders' Cup, and that was very disappointing too to to have got her that far. And um, of course, the the filly that she beat in Royal Ascot went and won. And well, you talk about getting her absolutely right for the day and you talk about your understanding of horses from your time as a as a farrier if there's one horse that you need to understand his head and if 
You know where I'm going. I know where with I'm going this. with this. Where you know where this. you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Flooring Porter. Yeah. Um, does does him repeating his triumph at Cheltenham this year depend on basically what side of bed he gets out of? I think we have him in a good place. Um, the prelims in Leopardstown went very well. Um, he really behaved himself. Um, you know, and, and that's that is a big part is just to get him to the start and get him to jump off, mm. albeit in the right position. Um, well, I mean, what's he like at home? Because we, we sort of obviously see him as this, you know, fiery but brilliant talent. He's an absolute gent in his routine. But if you take him out of that, he lights up and, you know, it's what's going on here. Um, but he is, he's, yeah, in his routine, he's fine. He's good. And he's a lot more, he has grown up a lot this year. I've even noticed he will actually put his head out over the stable door and, come and let you pat him. Where before he would stand at the back of the stable, he's just an odd character, but he he has he's grown up now and he's settled down. So he is just a bit of a he's just a bit eccentric. He is an oddball. You've definitely done those decks, haven't you? I keep pressing snooze. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, does it give you great satisfaction training a horse like him because he's a bit more of a puzzle? You actually have to think about it. You have to think your way through his his regime. Um, maybe so, but. Um, <laughs> In one way, we never, um, we didn't maybe use, utilize his talent early enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he made the running in a Premier, in a Grade B handicap in Navin, um, not by design. He was supposed to be dropped in, and he barged the tape and made the running and, and won. And then we realized that this is the way to ride the horse. Yeah. You know, so. Um, is it a case that we didn't spot this early enough? Maybe so, but uh, funnily enough, classical dream seems to have um, seems to have accidentally, yeah. on purpose, done the same thing. So, so maybe William Mullins got something different, something wrong as well. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah, listen, he's uh, he's obviously got a huge engine, and um, he's come out of Leopardstown really well, and uh, looking forward to Cheltenham. And you're not going to be missing the kick at Cheltenham, are you? Well, <laughs> I hope not. I certainly hope not. And the relationship now that he's building up with with Danny Mullins looks as though it could be it could be a pretty important one. You're obviously a, a huge fan of, of of Danny's talents. What do you think he brings to the table? Um, look, Danny's a real he's a real good horseman, and um, he obviously got a great tune out of him in 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 Cheltenham, mm. and I thought it was particularly good on him at the start in Cheltenham, and and. Subsequently, he was again in Leopardstown, and um, you know, all right, he missed the st- he missed the break, and and um, classical dream got got it, but um, yeah, he he's, he's, uh, he seems to get on with it. I mean, I I found it intriguing. You very rarely see a horse produce a performance like this over a staying trip, where he's almost hard into the bridle all the way around, and then still delivering up the hill, and it's almost as though he had a, a look around him. Halfway up the running. Yeah, when you look back at it, you'd wonder where he even got a breeder. But I suppose he got a little bit of a breeder going down the hill. But um, yeah, he just is a, he was a massive engine. And I remember speaking to you the, the week before Cheltenham. And it, it, there's not many trainers who could be so confident, not, not just about him, but about Vanillier, the horse who won the Albert Bartlett at a, at a very big price. And you, you, you told the world, yeah, he went, still went off a, at, a, at a huge price. Could you quite believe it? Um, 
No, look at and, and, and he won so well on the day. Um, he just really started spark about two weeks before Cheltenham. Mm. Um, he was a different horse. And, um, he didn't spark the last day in, in Leopardstown, but um, he, he worked last week and worked really well. And he, he might actually go um, next Sunday to Nace for a, a Grade Three chase. Mm -hmm. um, but um, looking forward to him again. I mean, so we, we know what this fellow Flooring Port is going to do. He'll go back to try and defend his his stay as Hurdle Crown. Will he he now go straight to Cheltenham? Yeah, yeah we'll we'll try and replicate what we did last yeah. year and go straight to Cheltenham. And Vanilla goes to Nace next weekend. Are you still confident that he can reach the same sort of heights over fences that he did over hurdles? Yeah, um, yeah. I think a few people might might have him written off, but uh, yeah, I think there's more to come. And most importantly, mo most immediately, the two runners at at Lingfield this afternoon. Yeah, um, Darver Star. I'm, I'm so happy that that um, he came back in Punchestown a few weeks ago, and, and you know he won and won convincingly, and won, you know very impressive. Um, his chasing career. It just never really got going properly. Um, last year, he he ran the Grade One chase in Leperstown at Christmas, and he kind of ran two races in in one. And, and he tried very very hard. And I think that was the end of the season. Really, he left. He, you know, he 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 left the season behind him. I thought, and we took him back this year. And and he got a fall to out in Ace, and he lost his confidence. And then we went to Thurles, and he finished second. And but never really jumped the fence. And yeah. So, look, we've made the decision to go back hurdling, and it took him probably half of the race to, to warm up to it, but when he did, he, he started to enjoy it, and, and he was very good. And you like your novice hurdler, fame after the glory? I do. I've always liked him. I, I know he's after getting beaten a couple of maiden hurdles, but uh, going left-handed is going to be a big help to him, um, and he loved the ground. So, look, he's a little bit defined, but um, I think he, he should be thereabouts. Which could be a... Very good day, because the two of them at Lingfield have got great chances. Mayor Jeremy's Flame must have a, a strong chance in the Grade 2 at Thurless. Yeah, I thought she was very good the last day in Nace. And she's another horse that, that has finally decided to grow up. She's um, she's just not very straightforward, but um, she, we seem to have a bit of a handle on her now, and she's she's finally starting to settle down a bit. You're good with the tricky ones, aren't you? That's well, a, like, that, <laughs> might be, that might be the uh, that might be the secret. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's... They've taken their time to come to hand, but at least they have. But is is that not it from from what you were saying that that it's the understanding of the horse? It's not simply enter them, run them, gallop them, whatever that everybody can do. It's trying to understand the horse and maximise the potential. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a massive part of it, um, and some horses take. A lot more training, and some take a lot less. And and uh, I suppose it's trying to identify that, um, and the, if identifying it sooner rather than later, I suppose is a big thing. Um, and uh, getting them healthy, healthy is 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 a huge part. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equuel Dubai.